Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Hi, Franz. Don't forget about the gift along I'm hosting on Instagram and Facebook. I've got discount codes for gift-worthy accessories, and I'll be doing a bunch of prize drawings for those participating. All you've got to do is tag me in your gift-making photos and use the hashtag MimNitsGAL2018. It doesn't have to be knitting if you're making cookies for a gift or crocheting or weaving or anything at all. Any type of baking is fair game, so come join in on the fun and maybe get some prizes for yourself out of the bargain. As of the original air date, we are neck deep in the holidays and all the craziness that comes with them. Hanukkah just wrapped up, Christmas and solstice are looming, and I'm finding it really easy to get caught up in all that I need to do and all that I feel I should be doing. I imagine no matter what time of year, you've all probably felt that at some time or another. So today's episode seems very appropriate. I'm talking today with Gabrielle Trainer, mindfulness coach and voice of the Pressing Pause podcast. We'll be chatting about being present, self-care, being kind to yourself, and how those topics intersect with making. I'm here with Gabrielle Trainer. Hey. Hi. So will you give us a little bit of uh, background on what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on, by the way. Um, So my name is Gabrielle Trainer, and I live with my husband and my little dog in the Brecon Beacons National Park in Wales in the UK. Wait, okay, so pause, sorry. What kind of dog? (laughs) I always love to talk about the animals. (laughs) She is a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Oh, they're great. Yeah, she's a cutie. Excellent. Okay, continue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, got to do the important stuff. I know, right? Um, and so what I what I do, what I'm kind of all about is I help overthinkers to worry less and enjoy life more. That's kind of it in a nutshell. In that I have always been a worrier and an overthinker all my life growing up. You know, I got stuck in my head going over and over stuff. And then a few years ago, I discovered the whole world of positive psychology, which was a revelation to me. Mm. So really kind of getting into positive psychology, doing lots of research and learning myself and then trying everything out on myself, experimenting with everything I was learning about. So things like mindfulness and meditation and Mm -hmm. gratitude practice and self-compassion and savoring. I was able to really help myself with my my worrying and my overthinking. And I Mm -hmm. realized that if this was having such an effect on me, then I really wanted to make sure that other people knew about it too, because, you know, not everybody, I mean, positive psychology is pretty new in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And I wanted to share what um, benefit there was to paying attention to this kind of stuff from a real kind of practical point of view. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody rather than kind of, you know, somebody who has, you know, spent many, many years studying in universities, the theory of it all. Yeah. It's a little more academic than practice. Yeah. I wanted to be able to say, I have experienced it and I've applied this and it really works. So, you know, I can kind of share that experience. Yeah. So that's what's kind of um, really sort of driven me to, to do what I do now, which is to write blog posts and write for magazines. And I have mm-hmm. a podcast and I write which online courses. Which is how courses. I found you, <laughs> the yes. podcast. So uh, Kate from A Playful Day had linked to your podcast and I was like, oh my God, I need this. Quick aside here. 
Between the time that I recorded with Gabrielle and the time of this release, Kate O'Sullivan's podcast has been rebranded as Conversations from Our Days. She still has the original Pressing Pause archives up, but Conversations from Our Days is definitely the place to find her now, and she's re-releasing everything with a slightly different format, so that's a good place to find it. I highly recommend that podcast and suggest that you go add it to your podcast list when you're done here. I'm linking it in the show notes. <laughs> oh, Kate, yeah, Kate is brilliant. She's she's such an absolute treasure for having shared it. I'm, yeah, I was so grateful. She went in my gratitude journal that nice. night, yeah, <laughs> because that was amazing that she shared it. Oh, I'm so glad you found me that way. Yeah. So, um, I am I am definitely an overthinker. I routinely get on the hamster wheel, as I call it, because it just mm-hmm. goes round and round and round and round, and it's hard to get off. And most recently, you you had done an episode about self compassion, and mm. it it really resonated because like. I give that to other people. I always give other people the benefit of the doubt, but it's hard to give myself that, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the particular one that I'm working on. <laughs> mindfulness right. Mindfulness is part of my regular practice, but self-compassion is, is one that I need to work on right now. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? it and is. I, I find that overthinkers in general, I'm going to generalize a bit now, that's fair. but overthinkers in general are pretty kind, thoughtful, decent, lovely human beings. Yeah. And because they're so, you know, a lot of the overthinking is because you're taking care of everybody else. You're thinking, well, is everyone else all right? Do they need something? What are they going to think about that? Now, if I do this, how will it affect them? Yeah. You know, it's all sort of taking care of other people. And so there's loads and loads and loads of compassion being given out to other people. Yeah. Very little going opposite direction to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And actually... And this is something that I find so much in the conversations I have with people that if you take care of yourself, you're going to be even better at taking care of other people. And that, you know, that's the thing that we all love to do. You know, us kind of overthinking, caring thoughts. We have to have a logical reason behind it. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems it's a real sticking point in that people find it really hard to believe that they are allowed to take care of themselves. And I find that like the one way that it's starts to get through to people is if I say but if you take care of yourself you'll be better at taking care of other people then yeah. it's like oh well if other people are going to benefit well like it's a way of justifying it if you don't mm. if you don't inherently have the self-worth to to say I am worth being taken care of it's a way to justify it in your brain and honestly anything that yes. gets you to that point is you know for the best Like, yeah, you should work on your sense of self-worth, but you should also be taking care of yourself before you get there. Absolutely. And that's the thing. And, you know, and people, it's really, really, really common for lots of us to just feel like, you know, we we come at the end of the queue. And the the way I see it is that there isn't really a queue. We don't, there doesn't need to be a queue. It's not a case of, well, if I take care of myself, I've suddenly jumped to the front of the queue and I don't care about anyone else. That's yeah. that's not it at all. It's just saying, actually, you matter as well. It's not that you matter more or yeah. less. Yeah. But actually, we all matter together and we all are worthy of being taken care of and taking care of each other. Truth. And absolutely, if if the way for you to, you know, you, for the way for one, not necessarily you, but the way for one to feel that they can do something for themselves to look after their own mental or physical health is that it means that they're going to be able to take care of the people they love around them even better. Yeah. If that's the reason it gets you to do it, brilliant. Yeah. Right. Like it's, there's, there's a whole set of trickery that I've learned from my own brain, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like I, you know, knowing self-knowledge and knowing how your own brain works is helpful in that you can then manipulate it. (laughs) 
and mm. doing what it should be doing and not what it wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, and this is kind of a, a non sequitur example, but like, um, I have a hard time keeping flat surfaces clean. I always clutter them mm. with like everything. So uh, on the kitchen counter, you know, we've got like the salt cellar, the salt and pepper, the, you know, like mortar and pestle, the sugar bowl, you know, those little things. And if they were loose on the counter, I would let other things accumulate with them. But all I had to do was buy a a square tray that they sit on top of, and then they're contained. And then all those things that need to stay on the counter can stay on the counter, but then anything outside the tray feels like it shouldn't be there. Oh. Do you know what I mean? That kind of like trickery. Yeah. So I do that yeah. with I do that with my mindfulness practice and my self care as well. Just like oh, I like that. Yeah. So yeah. what is your mindfulness and self care practice? I'm really so, interested. Yeah. Um. So I have fibromyalgia, which is a whole thing. It's mm-hmm. dramatic. Um. So there's a lot of a lot of regular self care that has to happen. You know, like instead of pushing to get all the things done, because I'm, I'm, I used to define myself by how much I could get done, you know, like, the success or failure of my day was about what I got done and not about Mm. how I felt. Mm. So it took a lot of work to get to the point where it was okay not to do things. And it still occasionally niggles at me, you know, like, it's, Mm. Um, if I'm if I'm having a really really bad pain day and I can't do anything and I just like sit down, I'll I'll do stuff like keep the laundry moving so that so that I feel like something's getting done even if I'm not actively doing it. Mm. It's it's still like it's still part of the way my brain cycles. But there's a lot of self care in like making sure that I lay down because I have um, autonomic nervous system dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know my blood pressure will drop and my heart rate rises and all sorts of things. And I overheat. So like, there's a lot of like horizontal time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So making sure that I have like options of stuff I can do to keep me, keep me occupied while I need to be that way is helpful. I I have to regularly do like yoga and, you know, things that kind of center and ground me. And, but it's more for my body that I need to regularly do them, but I make sure that I take the mind space while I'm doing them Mm -hmm. so that it's mindful instead of just like going through the motions for my body's sake. Yeah. Honestly, like creating regularly is, is part of my, my mindfulness and self-care. I've started embroidery recently and, and doing that, it feels, it feels a little like sympathetic magic. Mm. You know, like I'm stitching something peaceful. I'm, you know, I'm finding peace inside of myself at the same time. I love that description. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. I'm, I'm in love yeah. with it right now. <laughs> it's, and it's it's weird because there's a whole balance when you do something like making for a living. You have to find mm-hmm. other crafts to do for for hobby. <laughs> yes. Because work becomes work. You know, and there's the whole thing about like, you know, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's bullshit. You know what I mean? It's still work. You still have to, you know, you still have to push to get deadlines. You still have to, you know, to make sure that like you're marketing properly. Like there's still a bunch of stuff and you still have to do the accounting, you know? Yeah. But you can, you can find centering and peace in the making process. Like, cause it feels, it feels like alchemy or like magic. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's so much I agree with, with what you're saying. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's the, I mean, I, I, uh, I'm actually kind of on my third career. In that, <laughs> yeah, first, so were your other two. My, yes, my first career was in publishing. I was in oh, um, nice. youth magazines and newspapers. So I used uh-huh. to write for children and teenagers. Yeah. And then 
I became self-employed and set up my own stationary business. I tried lots of different creative pursuits. I knew that I wanted to do something else, but I wasn't sure what. So I tried out loads of different things. And then that resulted in me creating my own stationary business. So I would design and manufacture all myself. And I ran that for seven years. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in autumn 2017. And I completely agree that when you create for a living, then it can all become about work. And I really did struggle during that time to create for fun and for the pure joy of it without thinking in some way that there is some kind of work angle I could possibly turn this into a design or or this would be useful to practice because one day I might want to and I found it really difficult to not just add that work element to it. Well and it's I I we have a running joke in my household that that like every time I pick up a new craft I'm going to try to figure out a way to turn it into a business because I'm that's it's the rut that my brain is in it want you know like that's what I've been doing like turning Mm. my craft and my hobby into a business which is fantastic and I love it but like some things need to stay hobby I can't turn everything into a business yeah yeah because that's (laughs) the thing it takes it takes that pure play yes the pure enjoyment that you need you need the play and you need the enjoyment to Mm. be able to keep feeding a creative business you know you have to have creativity outside of the the work element Mm. to keep your creative brain working absolutely and that's the thing about creativity the more you do it the more it generates yes so you know again it's a bit like if you take care of yourself you're going to be better able to take care of other people yeah if you are creative for fun you're going to be even more creative for work yeah. because it just it just it stimulates feeds. more creativity. Yep. Yeah, I um another another thing that I do to maintain my, you know, my centeredness and get off the hamster wheel is the uh is my bullet journal. Mm-hmm. So I'm an obsessive bullet journaler. <laughs> if something doesn't go into the journal, like I'm not going to remember that it that I need to do it. And mm-hmm. when I find that my mind is is going in a million different directions and I'm trying really hard to like remember everything, it's because I haven't written things down. If I write things down, then my mind can let them go because they're yes. somewhere. They're somewhere for me to keep track of. And so I don't yeah. need to I don't need to keep on that hamster wheel with them. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the thing. With overthinking, you fill up your hamster wheel with thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just trying to keep everything in your head. And I am a great believer in, you know, in empty, I call it emptying my head onto a piece of paper. Yes. Because sometimes you just want to go, bleh, you just want to yeah. empty all of those thoughts out onto somewhere. You don't want to lose them because yeah. in amongst the medley of thoughts, there's some really important stuff and there's some good stuff and there's some stuff that you need to not lose track of. Yeah. But if you try to keep it all in your head, it just becomes too much. Well, and And it acts as a dam for creative thought. You know, you've got all these things that you're trying to remember, like I need to remember to like clean the fish tank tomorrow, you know, like if you keep thinking about that over and over and over again, there's Mm -hmm. no space for creative thought to happen in your brain. Your brain has a limited like amount of of activity it can produce and if you're occupying it with with the mundane things that need to get done there's no space for your creative brain yeah absolutely and I think you know it can take a while to figure out how the best what the best way is for you to be able to get yes. all the stuff out of your brain so for yeah. you it's bullet journaling yeah it's going to be different for some for people it's um yeah I mean there's morning pages you know where mm-hmm. you write three pages of just yeah kind of, you know, I did that for a while and it ended up just feeling too navel gazy like it was just <laughs> it was just too much like I don't feel good in my brain and I was like okay but yeah. you need to move past that at some point like acknowledging that and sitting with it for a few minutes is different than like writing about it for me <laughs> that's the thing it's finding the right thing for you because yeah. that's you know I'm very much 
of a, you know, here's a menu of things, yes. pick from it, try them out, see what yes. works for you. I don't, you know, there's not one hard and fast rule no. about anything in life for anybody. Well, and I mean, it can I'm, change I'm even from great, day to day. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it depends on, on kind of what mood you're in and how mm-hmm. you're feeling at the time. I mean, I'm a big list writer. Yeah. And I... I don't lists don't I don't feel sort of chained to lists. You know, sometimes people think that if you know feel that if they write a list, then it's then sort of hanging over them as this sort of doom and gloom thing to do. Oh, it feels freeing um, to me. But yeah, I feel like well if I've if I've got it all down on a piece of paper, then I know what there is that has to be done. Yep. And then from there I can then make another little list that says, All right, so so I've got my mega list of all the stuff in the world to do. Yeah. And then I've got a what am I gonna do today? And I yeah. pick three things and that's it. And I ignore the great big enormous list because I've emptied my head into it. I don't need to think about yep. it anymore. And I just think about what is it that I'm doing today? Yeah. And when I finish that, right, well, then I'll get to tomorrow. Yeah. And I, I find that helpful. But, yeah, it's, it's finding what – it's trying different things until you find what works for you. Yeah. And, yeah. and being honest with yourself about how it makes you feel. Because, like, sometimes mm-hmm. it works for a while and then you resent the list, you know, mm. um, like depending on where your brain space is. So, you know, it's, it's okay to say, today I'm not going to look at my list. Like, today I'm going to dedicate all day to creative play. Because Ooh. I need that and I don't want to do the list. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. I can feel host- held hostage by like a to-do list. So I just move everything. So the bullet journaling has a whole system for like moving things to another day. So I just like some days I'll just move everything so that I yeah. don't feel like I have to do it. It's that it's that awareness of yourself and your yeah. needs and yeah. how you're feeling. And it's that's the thing about self-care is that, you know, self-care can so often be just seen as bubble baths. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, a glass of wine and meditation and, you know, that's yeah. it. And that to and me that's actually perfectly valid that's, self-care. But yeah. but, but like so much more. Yeah. It can be and actually so self, much more. Yeah. And self-care can you know, something can be self-care and it cannot be at the same time. So yeah. So keeping your you know, keeping on top of the washing yeah, getting washing done today could be an act of self care because it's driving you potty that you haven't got it done, and it's it, you're yeah. going to feel better if you do it. And yeah. at the same time, not doing the washing can also be an act of self care because actually, what you really need today is to just leave the washing alone and to go and create, or to yes. go for a walk, or to go and sleep, or whatever. Yeah. And so, one action can be both, depending for on sure. how you feel and what you're needing at the moment. Yeah. When I feel like getting to that level of self knowledge requires some level of mindfulness. So, like, if you're not mm. there, if you're not physically in that space in your brain where you where you know what you need, like, meditate, sit quietly with a cup of tea, like you know, just like let feelings happen and acknowledge mm. them. Don't live in them, but acknowledge them. Yeah. And it, it helps you understand where your brain is at. Yeah, absolutely. I know that it, it can be quite alien to a lot of people to to sort of be able to to think, well, you know, exactly what is it, to be really in touch with how they're feeling and what they yeah. need to do next. And so you can be as kind of, you know, as organized as to actually set an alarm that goes yeah. off a few times a day. And when it goes off, yep. you stop for a second. And you think, right, how am I feeling right now? Yeah. Right this moment. Well, and there are apps that will do it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that so, periodically you know, just ping you and say, hey. Exactly. Whatever yeah, whatever works, whatever way that will just get you to stop for a second mm-hmm. and think, right, how am I feeling right now? I didn't notice, but actually my shoulders are right up by my ears. So yeah. I need to give them a bit of a shock. Or I'm absolutely desperate for the toilet. <laughs> and I hadn't realized yeah. because I, would, I thought, oh, well, I just want to get this thing done. Yeah. Or, you know, I really need a drink of water. Or do you know what? I'm feeling great. I'm I'm totally in flow and loving it. Therefore, I'm going to get straight back to it. But yeah. it's it's if you aren't used to to sort of Thinking being in touch it. with yeah with yeah. how you're feeling and what you're needing, 
then although it might sound like it's a little bit kind of ham-fisted to have to set an alarm or to set you know to activate an app to to set you know to ping off at you but if it means that you can practice that checking in with yourself over time you're not going to need to set an alarm because over no, time you're going it to become instinct. more aware. yeah yeah there's there's definitely a level of um, brain training that, yes. that it requires to get to a good point with it, but um, it's doable. Absolutely, and I think the you know the the kind of the very very busy hectic world that we live in now, which is just getting busier and more hectic with yeah, social media and with you know all the you know with having you know the world in your cell phone in your pocket, yeah. then that just trains us always to be doing and to be busy yeah. and. And we, you know, we stop actually having kind of moments where we just are still and we're quiet and we're alone with our thoughts. And that can be actually, you know, quite a scary prospect to a lot of people because yeah. it's quite alien because you're very rarely not, your mind isn't, Inf- isn't yeah. occupied. And therefore, yeah, yeah. And therefore to actually, you know, put a little stop on that input and say, actually, I'm just going to be still for a minute and just check in with how I'm feeling can feel quite weird. But yeah. It's, you know, but it is worth doing because you can learn so much about what you need and actually then you can take action. And mm-hmm. depending on what it is you need, you know, you need to stretch, you need to have a glass of water, go to the loo, whatever it is. You can yeah. then carry on doing whatever it is, is that you need to do in a, in a better state than you did two minutes earlier. Yeah. Hi, Miriam here. I just want to mention that there's this fantastic flowchart of a website at youfeellikeshit.com. My last therapist turned me on to it, and it's such a wonderful way of helping you sort out what you need. It starts with asking you if you've eaten in the last four hours and goes through questions about the temperature of the room, whether you've taken any medication you need to take, and then escalates the questions according to your answers. So if all you know is that you feel like shit and you don't know why, this site will walk you through figuring out why. Enjoy. Awesome. So let's actually get to the questions. <laughs> We've kind of rambled on. Um, okay, so your podcast, Pressing Pause, is full of mindfulness practice and thoughts on living a purposeful life. So how do you translate that to crafting? Well, I think you, you kind of touched on it a minute ago, actually, when you were talking about how um, you feel when you're doing your embroidery and when you're crafting. Yeah. And it's that, that calm kind of feeling that just comes over you and that's actually your parasympathetic nervous system kicking in so you have a sympathetic nervous system which is when it's the fight or flight response so that's what's kicking so you know you've got the adrenaline running through your body cortisol and you know it's your head up and you're ready to you know run away from the tiger which we don't have anymore but we still have that reaction it's still ingrained in us yeah Yeah. only now it's you know you you know you see somebody's posts on Facebook and instead that's actually the you know the thing yeah. that triggers you so when you uh, do something that calms you down so whether that's crafting or whether that's meditation or whether that's taking a walk or whether that's just take a few deep breaths that's when your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and so that lowers your blood pressure and it lowers your um, heart rate and it slows your mm. breathing and it basically mm. just tells your body it's all right we can all calm down now and crafting yeah. And being, you know, doing a creative activity is a brilliant way to get your parasympathetic nervous system to, to kick in because yeah, it's a rhythmic thing. It can be a soothing thing. It's something that you can really get. repetitive with yep. your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and you, you know, you find that you, you know, really get into flow and it's when we're in flow that yeah. we just get absorbed by what we're doing. So we're in the present. We're not actually in our heads on the hamster wheel. We are absorbed in the thing that we are making. Mm-hmm. And 
that's how you lose track of time. That's, you know, that's a classic example when you look at your clock and go, ah, two hours have gone by and I had no idea and I need to, you know, get the dinner on or whatever. Because you're absorbed, because you're in the moment. You're just, you know, you're you're totally being mindful because you're just absorbed in that creative activity that you're doing. And it's it's enjoyable. It's, you know, you're creating something. You're having, you know, it's an act of self-care because Mm -hmm. you are, you know, you're allowing your body to to relax and for you know your breathing to steady and your heart rate to go at a nice even pace and all those things so you know it's actually it's a really it's really good for you in a you know in that kind of physiological way as well as as well as you know the fact that you can you know produce something lovely or pretty or useful yeah um you know it's yeah it's 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 very much creativity is very much tied into mindfulness this is why there's a you know there's a plethora of coloring in books around because that's one of the the kind of easiest way for people who don't feel they're creative obviously everybody is creative it's just some people feel yeah. that you know that they aren't but everybody has the ability to be creative it isn't you know it isn't just about creating an enormous piece of pieces of art um but by i think that you know it shows that having all these mindfulness coloring books around is the fact that it's something that's really accessible to yeah. you know the person who's just you know browsing in a bookshop well, it comes down to to the simple choice of what color am I going to put here? Exactly. Like you've already got the outlines. It's just a matter of, you know, of what color you're going to choose. And, you know, it's not the end of the world either way. Yeah. You it's don't need it's to a be... choice without a pressure. Yes. And you don't need to be taught how to color in because you've no. done it since you can remember. You just yep. need some, you know, you don't need any special equipment. You just need some coloring pencils or felt tips and away you go. But it's yeah. it's exactly the same effect that you know that that has on you in that it you know in terms of it calming down and soothing you as yeah. would you know for somebody else it would be painting a portrait and for somebody else it would be photography and somebody else it is knitting or crocheting or yeah you know um paper cutting yeah mm. awesome so what's your history with making um well so yes i had my my stationary business so that was yeah. designing um you know kind of drawing and working with topography um yeah, more than physical creating um, i'm a font nut <laughs> yeah i yeah you can fall down font um rabbit oh, holes God. can't you I, there's a couple of people i follow on instagram who are font designers and i'm like oh. i want that one i want that one <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i did i did find that when i was when i was doing my stationery when i was running my stationery business i wasn't yeah i was a bit of it was a struggle to try and find time to purely create for fun so now that I I haven't had my stationary business for quite a while I've really been enjoying getting into trying different crafts that I never tried before so I've been trying yeah. paper cutting nice which is great I'm like not uh, great like kirigami it. kind of paper cutting or um, um like what kind of paper cutting are you talking about like with an exacto knife like making um yes with a okay, little scalpel and you cut yes. out kind of got the it the negative space I suppose you'd, you'd call it yeah. probably yeah awesome uh, yeah I'm not particularly great at it but I like doing it well that's yeah <laughs> practice you know you practice you get better but yeah. the point is that you're making not that exactly. you're making something amazing yeah and also um I've quite got quite into baking bread just quite simple uh, bread I quite like doing nice. that that's that's become quite a little mindful activity to me um yeah. because I I noticed at the, <laughs> the start I get really really stressed out by the fact that the dough would stick to my kitchen counter and I think it's never <laughs> going to come off you know I've got 10 minutes to knead it and two minutes in it's still stuck 
but it always does come off. And yeah. so that's that's real kind of lesson that's told me that you just have to keep sticking with it and it will come eventually. So that's well, bread is an interesting mindfulness in its in itself because mm-hmm. like bread is is changeable based on like the humidity or the mm-hmm. temperature or you know the dryness of your flour, how much you've hydrated it. Like it's different it it's different every time. And so it's almost a practice in being mindful of this of the bread dough itself. Mm-hmm. So that you get, you, you know that it needs more water, you know that it needs more flour, you know that it needs to be kneaded a little bit longer because this is a slightly less glutinous flour, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That it's, that's interesting. And right. you can't rush yeah. it. No, you can't rush it. You can't cut corners. You can't think, oh, well, it's all right. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll only prove it for 20 minutes instead of an hour. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't work. Doesn't work. So you, you know, you have to, you have to bide your time and you have to wait for it to do its thing and then you have to need it yeah. some more and you have to just go with the bread schedule and not yes enforce your own schedule to it so yeah so it's an, it's an exercise really, in letting go yeah it's yeah you have to let go of control you and you have no idea if when you open the oven door if the bread is going to you you expect yeah. it to you've done all the things but you can't control if that bread is going to rise or not nope and if it's going to bake beautifully or not yeah you just have to hope yeah so I really enjoy doing that. And I'm also working on a crochet blanket that I've been working Yay. on for ages. <laughs> um, it's just a really simple granny stripe blanket. Mm-hmm. But it's so satisfying because it yeah. takes me. So I do two rows, which yeah. is one color, and then I change the color. And it's the same stitch over and over and yeah. over and over, and over again. And it's so, it's that repetitive you know, kind of rhythmic mm-hmm. action that takes me about an hour to do two rows that is just delightful. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I you know, now I know it's my parasympathetic nervous system. <laughs> I can almost <laughs> feel it activating. Yeah. And I just, I, oh, it's lovely. I feel so calm. And then I can, I can see the progress I'm making, although it's very slow progress. Yeah. Because I don't give it as much time as I would like to, because I'm still, you know, always a work in progress and working on making more time for the fun stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because I because I love what I do, therefore I get too engrossed in it. Um, but being able to see the different the different colours building up, yeah, oh, it's love. Well, yeah. and it makes sense, like to have to have the colours change every couple of rows. You, it's more visible progress. Mm. So if that's what you need, like if if seeing the progress is something that feeds you, then like make that happen. Mm. You know, like. Change, yeah. Like if you were if you were working on a single color afghan, like maybe you wouldn't be able to see the progress so well. But but like changing the colors every couple of rows means that it's more visible when you do have progress. Yes. And it feels like I suppose because the stitch is the same. I mean, I have no idea how many stitches there are. I can't remember yeah. what it started with. It's the width of it's the width of my bed. Yeah. And it's going to be the length of the bed. So it's yeah. a, quite a big old piece. And I suppose because the stitch is the same every time, then having the different colors and deciding which color to have next, because it, I haven't done it in a regimented order. Yeah. I just sort of pick which color I like. That gives a more creative feel than mm-hmm. as if if it was one color and if it's one stitch, I may not feel like it was you know, an enormously creative activity. But True. I think because yeah. of changing the colors, that adds a little extra little sort of creative element to it so afghan is that the same is that the name for a granny stripe blanket uh yeah yeah well afghan so um any honestly any like afghan tends to be used for any sort of non-quilted so any yarn based blanket oh i did not know that yeah it's i'm not sure where the term actually you know originally came from like obviously it comes from afghanistan but like why it was called an afghan i don't know 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, that's interesting. You know, like a woven blanket isn't generally called an afghan. Um, uh, but a knitted blanket is called an afghan or a crocheted blanket is called an afghan. I'm not sure. Oh. That would be an interesting research project. Yeah. Okay, I did a little research, and it turns out that the term does come from Afghanistan, but it's a term that was used first for a blanket or throw made in Afghanistan. There's a whole history of textile industry there. And then it just morphed into being any yarn-based blanket. So there's another theory that it refers to Afghan rugs, and then got morphed from there, um, and the similarity of design between Afghan rugs and Afghans. But I find that one doesn't have many sources, so I didn't really take it that credible. (laughs) So we take it with a grain of salt. Woven blankets have their own terminology like coverlets, bedspreads, etc. And the terms don't seem to have any kind of consistent use. (laughs) As with many things in the English language, we sort of have a feeling of how they should be used without having any actual codified terminology. I'm only really able to, or I, I have only tried so far to knit or crochet straight lines. (laughs) So I can do, I can do squares Mm-hmm. And I can do rectangles, I can yeah. do scarves, and I can do blankets. And I have, yes, I have never <laughs> tried anything on a curve, at least not intentionally. <laughs> so actually, this dovetails nicely into another question. Do you have any making aspirations, things you've been wanting to try? Do you know, I've seen, because I follow quite a few people who make incredible, beautiful things with yarn. And I've seen somebody who's knitted socks, and I thought that would be satisfying oh, to knit a pair great. of socks. I love but I have, socks. I mean, how do you do the sizing okay, so, of socks? Yeah. I, mean, I have no idea where to start with socks, but I thought that would be lovely to do. Yeah. Um, so if you start, so the, the best thing to do is to make a gauge swatch, which another PSA, I do this every time I t- mention gauge swatches, always wash and block your gauge swatches just the same way you would wash and block your finished piece. So there, <laughs> there's my disclaimer. Okay. My, the more you know. Um, it's, a, it's a mission I'm on personally. Um, yeah, so you, you do a gauge swatch. I would say you don't need to start with like a sock yarn, which is like a, in, in the UK, it's a four ply. It's a like really, mm-hmm. you know, thin yarn. But you could do like bed socks that are in a thicker yarn and they'd go faster. I, you know, find a pattern. Because there's there's a bunch of different ways to turn a heel, and you should definitely follow a pattern for the first time you turn a heel. Mm, but it's kind of magic yeah. when you do. I'll send you I'll send you a link. There's one that uh, was was one of the early pairs of socks that I used to make. It's a worsted weight yarn, so they're definitely more like bed socks or hiking socks. They sound good. But yeah, they're they're simple and great. So I'll send you a link. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Simple, yeah. simple sounds good. Yeah. Start off with simple. <laughs> um, so knitting, yeah. I don't like knitting socks is wonderful. I love it because it, it feels like it takes a while, but they just go round and round and round, you know, <laughs> so it's, mm. you get lost in it. Mm. So there you go. You're in flow again. Yeah. Knitting socks is, is a flow activity. Yeah. yeah. Well, knitting most of anything is a flow activity for me. But <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, but getting, getting lost going round and round sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah. So I'll send you a link. Um, socks are really, yeah. really fun. And there's a whole world of like sock knitters, like capital S, capital K sock knitters. Ooh. Right. People who, who basically knit only socks or people who are super passionate about knitting socks. My husband and I both have, uh, drawers completely full of handmade socks because oh, I wow. love knitting socks. 
Oh, wow. Like I learned to crochet by watching a YouTube tutorial uh-huh. because I'm, I, you know, it's, it's been able to see somebody's hands yes. doing it. So yes. can you recommend a video for me to watch too? I'm sure. Yeah, I'll find something. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So are you new to knitting in general? No, but I can literally just do two stitches because I can just do scarves and blankets and squares. Well, knitting is just two stitches, knit and purl. And then the other, you know, like increases. Oh, yeah, yeah. Increases and decreases oh. like are done in knit or purl, but they're, they're just modifications of a knit or a purl. Oh, okay. I oh, I there was me just assuming that there'd be all kinds of other no, stitches. No, it's different from crochet oh. in that way. Um, it's all knit and purl. Oh right. Oh well, that makes you feel better straight away. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like even cables. <laughs> cables are just changing the the order in which you work the stitches. So say you've got a four stitch cable. You've got stitch one, two, three, and four. You'd knit three and four, and then one and two. Ah. And so it's just a, you know, a method of manipulating the stitches so that you work them in a different order. Like cables oh, that look super complicated, it's still, it's still just, you know, knit and purl. Right. Oh, well, that's encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's hope. Yeah. Um, you can also crochet socks. I'll send you some links. Um, Cal Patch is a wonderful, um, like sock crocheter. She's an advocate for crocheted socks. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll send you a bunch what of What do links. you think is, what's like. <laughs> The beginner beginner sock person um, <laughs> crocheting or knitting. Yeah, there's a bunch of different like like vanilla sock patterns. They call them like they're you know really simple sock patterns. Uh, you just have to find one for the right size of yarn that you want to use. Okay, and then you don't have to do the math yourself. <laughs> you just have oh, to get good. gauge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh fab thank you yeah so was that uh thinking that you had to learn more stitches than than knit and purl was that holding you back from socks yeah a little bit well, the whole go. kind of completely unknown territory of yeah yeah also i suppose i suppose actually a pattern in a way feels a bit daunting because i haven't used oh, okay. a pattern in forever because yeah. i just know how to do the two stitches yeah yeah so yeah so actually, if there's a yeah, if there's a pattern that you can recommend for, for sure. beginner sock knitter, Will that would do. be brilliant. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for if you find yourself not in flow and stressed out by your making? Like if there's a way to find to get back to that centeredness? I would probably suggest you might want to take a break and step away from it. <laughs> That's first. reasonable. Yeah, because it might just be that you've you know like like so much of things in life you know kind of you get to a sticky point you hit a little wall and actually you need to step away to be able to come back to it with fresh eyes yeah you know a, a fresh energy or you know looking at a different way to approach it so sometimes literally just stepping away from it can help if you yeah. if you can't step away from it because you're on a deadline or because of you know whatever the circumstances are that you need to keep going with it then i think even just taking a couple of minutes to just take a, you know a few deep breaths yeah. and have a little stretch roll your shoulders and then think to yourself okay if I knew how to do this and if I knew how to enjoy this how would I approach it okay if I if I was thinking about this from a completely fresh perspective as somebody who's really enjoying it and really knows how to do it what would I do yeah and that's just kind of imagine that yeah that can be helpful or the other thing that I find can apply to so much in life and <laughs> would apply in this circumstance as well is thinking what would if I was my best friend, what would I tell myself? Yes. What would I do for myself yes. right now? Is it that I need to just get on with it and, you know, stop faffing? Is it that <laughs> I need to step away and go for a walk? Is it that I need to phone a friend and say, I'm totally stuck, can you help me? Yeah. What is it that would help me right now? 
what would I say if I was my best friend to help her? And then apply that yeah. to yourself. Yeah, that's a, a thing that, that we do. So like when somebody like my husband or my best friend is being critical of themselves, I say, be nice to my mm -hmm. friend. Like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't let you yeah. be mean to my friend. And my friend is you. So stop being mean to yourself. Yep. Absolutely. That's the thing. We are, we can be so, so, so horrible mean. to ourselves. Yeah. So mean. And we would never in a million years say the things right? that we say to ourselves to other people. Yeah. Even people that we don't particularly like. We still right? wouldn't be. We still wouldn't say it out loud. We'd think it maybe, no. but we wouldn't say it out loud. Yeah. You just, you just would not come out with the things that you say to yourself. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It, it is actually, I think that it, people can sometimes dismiss it as, well, it doesn't really matter because, you know, I'm just saying stuff to myself. What does it matter? But actually it does, it does. because you're listening. Yeah. You're totally taking it all in. Well, and you're, and you're building thought pathways in your brain mm. that are really hard to get out of. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea behind mantras is that it's, you know, it's a sentence, it's a, you know, it's an affirmation or an intention or a mantra that you're saying something to yourself. Mm. If you want to, you know, if you want to feel brave before you do something scary, then you tell yourself you're brave. Yeah. By repeating it to yourself. Now, if you are constantly telling yourself something negative, it's just like a mantra. It's still going in. You know, yeah. it's just it's a negative. So if you constantly tell yourself that you can't knit socks, you're never going to be able to knit socks. Why would you even try to knit socks? Because you'd be rubbish at it. Yeah. Then absolutely, you're going to believe there's no point in even trying to knit socks. Yeah. You are not somebody who can do it. It's a story but you tell yourself just, about yourself. Exactly. It's just a story you're telling yourself. And you don't actually have any basis yeah. for that. And even if you think you have basis for it, do you really, if you look at it, you know, try to look at it objectively, try to think if I was my friend looking at this, mm -hmm. would they really think that? Mm. No. My lovely friend Kim Worker has written and spoken about the stories that we tell ourselves about failure. For instance, if you tell yourself that you can't do something over and over and over again, you begin to believe it. And it's just a story. It's not the truth. And it works the same way as a mantra for good, except that it's just not nice. So you choose the stories that you tell yourself about what you are and who you are becoming. So make it a good story. It's amazing how little changes can make a difference. In a recent episode of her podcast, Pressing Pause, Gabrielle suggests that one word can help us shift that narrative. You can take the story, I can't do crochet, to I can't do crochet yet. I've put links for both Kim's talk about the stories we tell ourselves and Gabrielle's yet podcast in the show notes. It's really, it really is really useful for anything, whether, you know, it's whether you're looking in the mirror before you're going out to a job interview or for, you know, to a date, or if yeah. you're you know, you're looking at the dinner that you've just cooked or, you know, the thing that you're making or whatever it is in life. If you think, you know, if you notice that you're, you're, you know, telling yourself a story that's actually quite harsh and you're being quite mean to yourself and you just stop and think, well, wait a minute, what would my friend say to me in this situation? If I was my best mate, what would I say to her yeah. right now? What would I do for her? Yeah, I would stop and I would give her a hug and I'd make her a cup of tea. Yeah. If you're British. No, <laughs> oh, I'm, a, I'm a tea drinker. Like through and through, I'm I'm an Anglophile a little bit. <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> uh, there's I've also found it very helpful sometimes to externalize that internal voice. So I have mm -hmm. I have um, little like finger monsters. They're like little rubber finger puppets that have like waggly arms, and mm. they look like monsters. So like that that inner monster in your brain sometimes like externalizing it and and like. Just even seeing the little monster as like, okay, you are the embodiment of all those mean things in my head. Just externalizing it makes it easier to ignore. Yes. Because like, until you retrain your brain, you're always going to have those. And especially if you're an overthinker, those negative thoughts are going to be there. 
the only thing you want to try to do is lessen them or ignore them for a little yeah. while so you can, you know, feel nice about yourself for a while. Yeah, it's 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 separating yourself, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. It's when you so when you use your little um, finger monster puppets, yeah. your finger puppets, then you're separating yeah. yourself from from the statements. So Tara Moore talks really brilliantly about the inner critic, and that's what essentially what mm-hmm. your little monster is, yep. and what that voice is is your inner critic having a go at you. Um, and so you can name your inner critic, yep. and so when you realise you're doing it, you can you know you can you can name her and say, oh, she's telling me that I'm rubbish at this. She's telling me that nobody's going to buy this thing. Yeah. She's telling me that I can't do it. So it isn't that you're saying, oh, I can't do it. You're saying, ah, my inner critic is telling me that. Yes. And the thing is, the inner critic, you know, isn't necessarily... It's not necessarily you know, a bad a, thing. Because... No, it's... Yeah, you, you need... Sometimes you need the critical thought to to make the end product better. But as long as it's constructive or you can take it constructively, then it's okay. When it's destructive, then it's not okay. Yeah, and sometimes it's driven by, it's literally driven sort of from, you know, coming from a good place in that the inner critic is trying to keep you safe yes. in a slightly misguided way yeah. because she's saying to you, well, you know, you, you can't do that thing and nobody's going to buy it and therefore don't bother doing it because if you don't bother doing it, then you don't put it out there in and the world and then you won't get disappointed and you won't fail because nobody buys it. Yep. So if you don't do it in the first place, you won't have to face yeah. the possibility of failure. Yeah. But actually... You know, if we listened to our inner critics the whole time, we wouldn't go anywhere or do anything or try anything, which, you know, wouldn't be very interesting or fulfilling for us. It wouldn't be joyful. Like, I find joy in all these, you know, new explorations and, you know, in finding, um, you know, going outside of my comfort zone and, you know, talking to new people and things like that. So you'd never do that if you listen to your inner critic. Yeah, Yeah. entirely. Yeah. So you can, you know, rather than kind of, labeling your inner critic and thinking right I'm going to push her away I'm going to tell her she's not you know I'm not letting her be in charge then actually you can be really kind to her and say I appreciate that you are trying to tell me these things because you're trying to keep me safe but you know what I want to have a go I want to try this thing and it might work it might not work I don't know but I'm going to find out so I appreciate that but you can get out of the driving seat of the car and you can hop into the back seat because actually I'm in charge of what I do and I appreciate yeah. your input but i'm not going to actually be paying attention to it at this time yes so you don't you give even, it five minutes rest- yeah yeah um yeah. there's a a cartoon in a book by yumi sakagawa that i'm in love with that basically like sitting down with your inner critic to have a cup of tea you know Ooh. and like talk to your inner critic like why why are you feeling this way you know like the same way yeah. you would have a conversation with like a good friend it's great yeah. love it yeah, because I think you can find out quite a lot. That's how you kind of can really uncover stuff. Yeah. And that actually, it isn't that you're rubbish at making this thing. It actually is about you being scared that people won't like it. Yeah. And what does that mean about you and your creativity? Yeah. It's not actually about your ability to make the thing at all. No, it's about yeah. it's about the feelings attached. It's It's never about, you know, about the actual physical thing it's always about the feelings and about the internalized dialogue that you're having in your own brain about what other people will think about it or what you'll feel about it or mm. it's always comes down to feelings yeah and you, you you can talk to you like i say you, you know you can sit down and have a cup of tea with your only critic mm-hmm. and actually learn from her yeah. as opposed to you know kind of see her as this sort of horrible thing that you have to push away because the yeah. thing is you won't be pushed away and if you try to push away she'll yeah. just come back <laughs> right well and just like you know like with toxic parents or like a toxic you know a friend that like you can handle in small doses you can give her a particular period of time and then be like mm. okay and yeah, now i'm done yeah. like i can talk to you once a week 
And then, you know, other than that, I need yeah. some distance. It's creating boundaries with your own inner critic that the same way you would create boundaries with people in your real life. Mm, absolutely. Awesome. So there's a question for season two that I'm asking everybody. If you could be reincarnated as any animal, what animal would you be? Do you know, I had to give this quite a lot of thought <laughs> because it's quite tricky. It is. And I actually came up with an insect. Oh, perfect. Does that count? No, that love allowed? insects. Insects are animals. Insects are, are case, still within the animal kingdom. So Brilliant. That was what I was hoping you would say. For sure. In that case, I'm going to go for dragonfly. Nice. Why? Because, well, they're just so pretty for they a start. Are. And they don't actually live for a day. They live, which I know was kind of a bit of a myth because I thought they did, but they don't. They live oh, for months. Yeah. They don't live for years, but they live They live for several months. Yeah. And yeah, they're just so pretty and they look so delicate, but actually they're really strong. Yeah. They really, they've got really strong wings. They're really strong flies, but they look like such fragile, yeah. delicate little things. And yeah. And I think just, you know, watching a, a dragonfly dance around in front of you is just yeah. beautiful. It's iridescent so, yeah, and it has a secret piece. strength and you get to fly. Yeah, and I get to fly, which yeah. if I could pick superpower would be my superpower. Right. So yeah. That was that was one of the questions that I discarded as the as the question for season two. Was like if you uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Because my first season question was, um, what is your everyday superpower? Like something that you're really absurdly good at. Oh. Yeah. And I also figured that everybody would pick flying. <laughs> and that's yeah. just not interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you see, I just, I got that in via the It's fair. Fly. Well, see, I figured, you know, this gives a, a little more uh, space to to express oneself. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Good question. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having a conversation with me. Well, oh, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been wonderful to talk, to chat. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for joining me for this episode. I'd love to hear your own coping strategies for overwhelm, and I highly encourage you to join Gabrielle's Facebook group called Worry Less and Enjoy Life More. And don't forget about her podcast called Pressing Pause. That link is in the show notes. All those links are in the show notes if you're having a hard time finding them. You can follow me in all of my making at Miriam Felton Knit Designs on Facebook and on Twitter or Instagram at MimKnits. And thank you ever so much to the patrons who keep this podcast paid for. The address for the Patreon, if you want to get some cool rewards and bonus content, along with my eternal devotion, is patreon.com slash Miriam Felton. You can follow the podcast on social media via Facebook, search for Yarn Stories Podcast, with no space between yarn and stories, Twitter at Yarn Stories Pod, or Instagram at Yarn Stories Podcast. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from Sid Fallon. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in two weeks having a chat with Wooly Wormhead. Bye! Hey, babe. Hi. What you doing in the closet? <laughs>